0: What? What happened? Where where am I? Oh, I'm in front of a microphone. I just fell asleep reading another Is David Johnson Good Debate. Oh, no topic is as boring as the Is David Johnson Good topic because the debate was settled last year. And I would argue the debate was settled over a year ago when David Johnson was at Northern Iowa. But yet, fantasy podcast hosts drone on debating The intrinsic qualities of David Johnson, of all running backs, as if there's a doubt, as if there's a question. On playerprofiler.com, we have David Johnson as the number one running back in seasonal fantasy leagues because it's self-evident, isn't it? He's the healthiest, least suspended, most talented all-purpose back in the best possible situation. It's clear. And I recently participated in the most challenging expert draft in the history of fantasy football, the Apex Writers League, with Evan Silva, Mike Clay, and a bunch of others. And we're going to have Evan Silva on the show today to discuss this draft. The first running back off the board was David Johnson at pick eight by Mike Clay. He took David Johnson over Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, and others. Because of course he did. Why is anyone boring us debating David Johnson? As if he was some kind of one-hit wonder in 2015. Like, what? Anything but. David Johnson was a fantastic receiver for four years at Northern Iowa before he became the starting running back for the Arizona Cardinals. In his redshirt freshman year with the UNI Panthers, David Johnson posted 33 receptions for 422 receiving yards. He's a freshman, first year playing college football. He went on to post 141 receptions in college at 224 pounds (laughs) when you add up his rushing and receiving numbers 40.8 percent dominator rating that's 88th percentile david johnson checked all the boxes we love coming out of college that's why we were so zealously drafting him in dynasty rookie drafts last year david johnson won a lot of roto underworld radio listeners their leagues in 2015 but it was obvious that he was great. He was a steal at the end of the third round in the NFL draft. How did we know it? Because with David Johnson, if you did what we always preach on this show and you zoom out and you see the full picture, it's clear. He's big, he's explosive, and he's a great receiver. He checks the highest level, most important boxes. Keep it simple. He's great. There's no debate. There was no debate last year. I had Evan Silva on the show last year, and we debated David Johnson. And I said what I'm saying now to Evan Silva a year ago, and Evan Silva critiqued David Johnson's inside running. He would admit to you that he was influenced by a stylistic bias. We talk about the stylistic bias all the time on this show. It's what held people back from drafting Tevin Coleman and David Johnson in their Dynasty rookie drafts and drafting Jay Ajayi instead. And that was a mistake. We said that was a mistake over a year ago. And now, like many of the other predictions on the show, it has since come true. Every other show is another told-you-so show. On Roto Underworld Radio. So we'll revisit the David Johnson conversation with Evan Silva very, very briefly because talking about David Johnson is not worth anyone's time. It's a better use of time to talk about literally every other running back in the league other than David Johnson because it's established. He's great. He's the best redraft running back. Case closed. Court adjourned. You don't need to waste any more brain cells talking about him. And David Johnson was also the quintessential player profiler running back. Because when you go to David Johnson's profile on player profiler, you not only see the college dominator, you see those workout metrics. 4 5 flat 40, 134.1 burst score, 96th percentile. The burst score combines the vertical jump and the broad jump into one equally weighted metric. Upper percentile agility score, which combines the 20 yard shuttle and a three cone drill, as well as 25 bench reps at 225. That all adds up to a 134.9 95th percentile Nike spark score. Wow. Wow. That's before he plays a down in the NFL. Wow. And recently, we've added another metric to the site on the running back pages, college target share. Just another metric that illuminates David Johnson's excellence. All before he steps foot on an NFL football field. And then once he stepped foot on an NFL football field, what did he do? Plus 43.3 production premium. That's player profilers, situation agnostic efficiency metric, looking at David Johnson's performance on any given down and distance in any given game situation, measuring how he performed against league average, plus 43.3 was fourth in the league, 4.6 yards per carry, 6.4 yards per touch was top 10, and a 33.5% juke rate, that's evaded tackles per touch, measuring elusiveness, 13th in the league. There is not one blemish on the David Johnson profile. So talking about him on August 22nd is a waste of everyone's time. If we look back at the David Johnson analysis from a year ago in hindsight, it helps to strengthen my position that film analysis should not be used to make fantasy football decisions. Just stop doing it over and over. And over again, subjective film observations infect fantasy football analysis to the detriment of everyone who's reading them, including anyone that read David Johnson's scouting report last year. Throw it in the trash. It's useless. Go to his player page on playerprofiler.com and that distills David Johnson down to everything you need to know. And we're seeing it all over again, like Groundhog Day this year, with Devin Funchess, where you see fantasy analysts continuing to harken back to the Devin Funchess college scouting report that he lacks courage at the catch point when his dominator, his breakout age, his height-adjusted speed score, his catch radius... It's all far superior to Kelvin Benjamin. And oh, by the way, he's also the same size as Kelvin Benjamin. So this idea that it's Kelvin Benjamin's job as long as the world is in order is ludicrous. The competition for the Panthers' number one wide receiver job is currently on, and Kelvin Benjamin is behind Burn the Devin Funches film analysis and trust the numbers. But the problem is metrics can be used for good and for evil. We talked about this with Jeremy Langford and the arrogance of stats. The player pages on playerprofiler.com now feature a media panel. If you keep scrolling down... Past the performance charts, you'll now see all the highlights from the Roto Underworld Radio YouTube channel embedded in the player pages, and there are multiple Jeremy Lankford clips. For your perusal, one of them is Jeremy Lankford and the Arrogance of Stats. Both film analysis and statistical analysis are often misused in fantasy football. One of the great examples of the misuse of stats is in the analysis of Jeremy Langford Splits. We loathe splits because splits take something that's already a small sample size and make it even smaller, which doesn't make sense, makes it even less significant. But when you zoom out and you expand the sample size on Jeremy Langford, you see a quality running back. Particularly when you incorporate his production at Michigan State. That's why we've had Jeremy Langford in the top 20 of our redraft rankings on playerprofiler.com from the beginning. And you should go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player-rankings to check out the rankings. You can see where Jeremy Langford has been posted up all offseason. We've been buried in an avalanche of Jeremy Langford criticism and the ranking has not moved because Jeremy Langford didn't play a full season last year. That makes his 2015 statistics less significant. Once you split and splice them down into Jeremy Langford's yards per carry against base defenses, now you have a very small sample size to work with. My instinct is never to reduce the sample size, it is to expand the sample size to get the most comprehensive view of a player's talent profile possible. And those that have had access to our rankings all year will notice another running back is rising, and that's Latavius Murray. During preseason, it's become clear that the Oakland Raiders are going to lean on Latavius Murray, and I'm going to talk to Evan Silva about Latavius Murray, because I've been talking to Evan Silva about Latavius Murray on this show for years. He's been a frequent topic of conversation, and I believe he's poised for a career year in Oakland. He's a big running back, 223 pounds. Like David Johnson, has an upper percentile speed score, 115.8, 96th percentile. Upper percentile Spark X score on playerprofiler.com, 123.0, 77th percentile. So he's big and athletic, but if you look at his college numbers, average production across the board. Average college dominator. Average college yards per carry. Average college target share. And he underwhelmed as the lead back last year. Latavius Murray has been a perennial underachiever. He has underperformed his athleticism. A 223-pound running back who runs a 4-4-3 should be more dominant. I don't think he's an exceptional talent. I think David Johnson's talent profile dwarfs Latavius Murray. But if you zoom out and you look at the full picture, what is Latavius Murray capable of this year? He's capable of a lot of big runs. He will have a season a lot closer to Todd Gurley than anyone believes. Latavius Murray does have the requisite ability to produce big fantasy numbers. Across the board, going back to his days at Central Florida, he's always been good, not great. But good is still good enough to be a successful between the tackles runner in the NFL if you're put in the right situation and the external forces are working in your favor. He's not Matt Jones. Matt Jones has never been a good running back at any level. Matt Jones lacks the requisite ability to produce big fantasy numbers even in the best possible situation. That's the difference. You can never blindly draft players based on situation. Their profile has to at least demonstrate requisite ability. Latavius Murray's shows that. Matt Jones' profile is devoid of that. And Latavius Murray is in one of the best situations for a running back in 2016 because there are a number of external forces working in Latavius Murray's favor. He is the antithesis of Todd Gurley. No external forces are working in Todd Gurley's favor, and we'll talk to Evan Silva about this as well. Yet, one of the minions forwarded me a stat on Latavius Murray that he believed represented factual evidence that Latavius Murray is a bad running back and shouldn't be drafted in fantasy. He found a stat listing all running backs the last 16 years with 267 carries and 53 targets. Of all of those running backs the last 16 years, Latavius Murray scored the least fantasy points. (gasps) Oh no! That's crazy! That's crazy, right? What an amazing stat. Clearly, Latavius Murray is an awful running back and cannot be trusted in fantasy football, right? No. Wrong. Like splits, this is another example of using statistics soaked in confirmation bias. How does a stat like that get created? You hypothesize that Latavius Murray isn't a good running back, and then you go out looking for stats to validate your assumption. And one of the statistical tricks employed by fantasy analysts is to set arbitrary thresholds in which the player examined represents... The minimum threshold. So that stat represents Latavius Murray's minimum threshold. So it makes sense that he would be the lowest. It wasn't all running backs with at least 200 carries. It wasn't all running backs with at least 40 targets. No, it's creating a very specific list with Latavius Murray being the bare minimum requirement. That's classic retrofit fantasy football analysis. Reverse engineered stat mining. And we're part of the problem at playerprofiler.com. I know this. We have an incredibly powerful tool called the data analysis tool. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis and you can pick and choose any particular field and sort it. So we are giving you the tools to go out and practice confirmation bias on a large scale in a fantasy football context. It's up to you to use the tools for good instead of evil. To zoom out and see the full picture on a player instead of splitting and splicing the stats to get the evidence you were looking for to convict the player. Whether you go back 16 years and you retrofit a list to make sure that player is at the bottom or you pick a very specific stat in which you know that player performed poorly in a single season. But when I zoom out on Latavius Murray, I see a player who should be an RB1 in fantasy this year based on his talent profile and his situation in particular. We'll see if Evan Silva agrees in a moment. But before we talk to Evan... I need you to go to apexfantasyleagues.com. We talked about it earlier. They hosted the Expert Writers League that Evan and I participated in. Apex hosts 12-team PPR leagues, and they provide a variety of drafting options. Live, email, serpentine, auction. They also offer dynasty leagues. If you're worried that a league you set up doesn't fill... You don't have to worry. Apex will pump up the prize pool to make sure the leagues are filled. It's pretty cool. And not only does Apex have high stakes payouts, if you trust your fantasy football skills, Apex is the place that mitigates randomness because the platform features blind bidding, i.e. fair free agent acquisitions, and two matchups per week versus single head-to-head matchups. So you can compete against multiple teams each week and not worry about an arbitrary strength of schedule determining the payouts. So go to apexfantasyleagues.com and sign up today. Now, let's go talk to Evan Silva, the editor of Roto World Football. Welcome to Roto Underworld Radio, Evan Scott Silva from Roto World. It is August 22nd. This is the time. This is the time. This is peak fantasy football season, and we have the apex predator of all fantasy football analysts, Evan Silva on the show.
1: Talk to me. It's good to be back, man. Uh, ready to fire some real fiery takes Ooh. and um, you know, talk about this draft that we both participated in. Uh, Rotopad is supposed to be inviting you to a forthcoming draft.
0: He invited me to the Friends of Roto World Experts Fantasy League draft. So that'll be great. Just to re, re, reestablish my brand and my zero RB tendencies. And yep. the draft that you were referencing was the Apex Expert League. And this show is actually brought to you by Apex Fantasy Leagues. It's the best place to play high stakes fantasy. And we were invited along with the deepest, most talented group. Of fantasy drafters I have personally ever been a part of. The draft started 101. Sean Siegel, great. Yeah, thank God he's in this draft room. That's really helpful. And then Chet Gresham, Evan Silva, Matt Harmon, JJ Zacharison, this guy, Matt Kelly, whatever. Graham Barfield, Mike Clay, Mike Broad, he's the founder of Apex Fantasy League. Mike
1: Broad, he's a guy who people need to be more aware of. He's a freaking great analyst. He's also a great player he's the only guy who through two years of this league this is the league's third year he has finished um in the top two in both years he's he's gone zero rb both seasons and been able to build a couple of dominant teams
0: yeah he's The brains behind the Apex platform, he's a great player. Denny Carter, Sigmund Bloom, and then to round it out, of course, Rich Rebar, because why not have every one of the smartest fantasy experts in one draft room because that'll, that'll be easy. So I did want to talk about how this draft played out because you live blogged about it on Roto World, and I've never seen as many people implement zero RB as we saw in this draft room. And that became a great test case for this hypothetical scenario that people talk about. Well, what happens if everybody goes zero RB, does that mean you want to vacuum up all the value running backs? Or does that mean it's all the more important to go zero RB yourself to make sure that you're not left behind in the land rush for the wide receivers?
1: Right, we had five people going 0RB. Denny went 0RB, Mike Broad went 0RB for the third straight year, Graham Barfield went 0RB, you went 0RB, and Sean Siegel went 0RB. Shocker. Um, (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. uh, Chet, myself, Harmon, Zacharyson, and Reeves, and Bloom all pretty much went balanced, and then we saw Mike Clay... He said that it wasn't on purpose. He went essentially zero wide receiver.
0: I believe him, yeah. I believe he was the one that was letting the draft come to him. Exactly. I'm not sure what was the best strategy. Mike Clay is the most interesting draft of everyone that drafted because... He was the one that was not adhering to any roster construction guidelines and basically saying, I'm going to take best available player off my board. And it's all predicated on me doing trades during the season with my competitors to make sure that I have a roster that's competitive. So when you add it all up, if Mike Clay was drafting on Yahoo, for example, my guess is the computer would think that he had the best team. But... It's actually going to be the most challenging for him in terms of weekly management to put together a roster to win given that it's so imbalanced. Lots of great running backs and very thin at receiver.
1: And Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, well, he's going to have to trade one of these guys. I
0: mean, this is the best available player rationale is you're going to trade some guys later on. My understanding is that in past years... He's been a heavy trader. He's been very active, and he's been successful. Mike Clay is the brains behind ESPN and Yahoo's player projections. So this is a guy who knows what he's doing Right. While it's happening, I'm sitting there going, is he falling into a value trap here? Is this the danger in value-based drafting that you just vacuum up all the running backs and then your whole roster is tilted? But then when you realize that trading is allowed and that this guy is one of the best in the industry, you don't doubt him.
1: Last year in this league with a similar rationale, I started RB times four and went to the semifinals in this league. Uh, lost to JJ who who went up who wound up winning the league. So I, for me, like I really think that there's a lot of different ways to win in fantasy. I think that broad has shown in this in the two year sample size so far that maybe the most consistent way to build a dominant team year in and year out is to employ zero RB strategy, especially in this format because we didn't even discuss this. It's essentially a start four wide receiver league. Because we have you know three wide receiver slots and a flex spot, um, I, I think that the best, probably the, the the way that you have a chance to build the most dominant team is to go zero running back. You know, hit on the Charles Simses, hit on the Jonathan Stewarts, maybe get you know a, a league winner off the waiver wire at running back. Right. Um, I, I think that theoretically, going into this sort of a draft the best approach is zero running back. But I think that there's a lot of different ways to win in fantasy. I mean, and zero running back is not foolproof. I mean, some of the guys who went zero running back last year finished like last or second to last. You know, and these are some good fantasy players. So, I, I, but, but I think that in theory, yes, zero running back is the optimal strategy for a league like this.
0: Yeah, Zero running back isn't the best way to finish in the top half of a league. That's actually not the best way to go. Zero running back gives you the best chance to win leagues that are competitive because it does put you in a position to take advantage of the volatility and the fragility at the running back position specifically, but It's also predicated on you picking the right running backs later in the draft and you being savvy on the waiver wire. And things don't always fall according to plan. I finished last place last year in some leagues in which I didn't pick up the right running backs during the season. I felt like I was constantly picking up the wrong running backs at the wrong times. And I was also suffering with... Des Bryant and Jordy Nelson injuries and those teams completely flamed out and finished last so a lot of zero running back teams finish first and a lot of zero running back teams finish last but if you're competing against 11 of the best fantasy footballers in the country I think that it is in your best interest to take a big swing and zero RB is a big swing and you had a lot of people up here taking big hacks I mean this was modern baseball Where you just had lots of strikeouts and lots of home runs. And I think that's what we're going to see. My guess is there's going to be some really bad teams and some really good teams in this particular Apex Fantasy League. One thing that I never fully appreciated, that I only appreciated once this draft was over, is in a super competitive environment the value of having a pick in the middle. It was so much easier for me at slot seven to pick, and I always felt bad for Rich and for Sean on the turns because you're reaching for guys, and then you start panicking, and then you start second-guessing yourself. Even the best, most hardened experts can start tilting a little bit when these are the competitors and they're sniping you left and right.
1: From my perspective, see, like I took Devonta Freeman with the third to last pick in the second round, and I liked that from a value-based drafting standpoint. Um, But even when I made that pick and felt good about it at the time, it put me behind. I mean, I I felt like I was behind. And by the the fourth and fifth rounds – Where I mean, wide receivers are just going off the board at virtually every pick. You know, I got I have to start picking some making some picks that I don't love. I took Larry Fitzgerald late fourth. I really don't love Larry Fitzgerald this year. I think I thought he was okay. He's my third receiver behind uh, Odell Beckham and Golden Tate, but I didn't love taking him as a late fourth round pick.
0: The fourth round was the one round in which you could argue I was tilting because I had my pre-draft set up. You'll notice as the slow draft is going on, I always have my pre-draft selections in because that's just how I am. I'm super obsessive compulsive. It's why I don't like slow drafts because I just – it's too much for me. I'm just too much of a just get me my players now. So I had my pre-draft selections, Decker, Baldwin, Jordan, Matthews, and then boom, 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 boom. Like it all crushed and they all were taken and then it was like opening a cupboard and there was nothing on the shelves. That was one of the only rounds in which I didn't auto pick and I had to go and start really doing some real thinking. It's like in chess, you know, those chess masters that walk up and down. The rows of chess boards, and they just move, 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 move. And then the opponent, Mm -hmm. the amateur opponent, has to think for five minutes, and then he moves. Then the chess master goes back down the row. Move, 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 move. Well, that's what I feel like. And then... In the fourth round, I didn't know where to move. I was just staring at the board for a long time, and what I ended up doing was coming to the realization that I'm going 0RB. I'm going to end up with six good receivers, and it's okay to not take Larry Fitzgerald here because I had it on Larry Fitzgerald. I was about to draft Larry Fitzgerald five or six different times. And I didn't like it, just like you. I didn't like the feeling. I was like, I don't want Larry Fitzgerald here. There's too much John Brown and there's too much Michael Floyd lurking in the target share department for me to get excited about Larry Fitzgerald at age 32. So I finally came to the conclusion that I'm actually going to be drafting my bench receiver here and this is a guy that I need to have maximum upside and I'm not actually drafting a starter here I know it's crazy But Sean Siegel talks about this when he talks about zero RB, that some of these guys are not actually starters here. Right. You're drafting a bench receiver. And so my decision was I'm going to go Tyler Lockett because if he breaks out, he's going to break out in a big way and he will become Russell Wilson's number one receiver. And if something happens in Seattle and they have injuries on defense – and they have to start throwing the ball a lot more than they have in the past, then with Russell Wilson's efficiency combined with what Tyler Lockett has done going all the way back to Kansas State being one of the most precocious wide receiver prospects we've seen, he just happened to come along at a time when everyone was discounting the smaller receiver, but by every other measure besides size, he's one of the more impressive wide receiver prospects we've seen in a long time. The idea that he could be quickly elevated to number one receiver in an offense with the most efficient quarterback in the league, that's what I talked myself into in terms of chasing a ceiling because I had that luxury going zero RB.
1: That's where the pick started to get a little uncomfortable for the wide receivers. I mean, you saw Tyler Lockett go mid-fourth. Which was a reach. I mean, I admit it was a reach. Right. Um, Larry Fitzgerald went late fourth. Marvin Jones went late fourth, which after his preseason, I, I suppose, doesn't look as as bad. I mean, Devontae Parker, I didn't feel real comfortable about taking him in the, in the early fifth. Harmon took Kevin White in the early fifth. Um, Emmanuel Sanders, you know, theoretically the number two receiver in Denver uh, on a run first team. He went mid fifth you know, Corey Coleman goes in the fifth round. Uh Michael Crabtree goes late fifth. So the, the the receiver pick started to get uncomfortable in that range. That's right.
0: In the fifth round I ended up going Cam Newton and that was another odd decision. I liked it. I liked it. I didn't have any other moves. And this is where I throw in like a Sicilian defense opening that no one's ever seen me do ever. And that was the Cam Newton because I went back to playerprofiler.com and I actually just had to go back to the drawing board, back to square one, and say, if I were someone that was drafting for the first time in a fantasy league, this is where I was at with this draft, Evan. It made me question everything and it made me deconstruct everything. And if I'm entering a fantasy league for the first time and a fantasy draft room for the first time and I'm in this situation, what would I do? Well, I went to playerprofiler.com and I looked up value over stream, which is a very simple value-based drafting tactic, which is just Who is outperforming the stream the most in this particular draft slot? And it was clear it was Cam Newton and it wasn't particularly close. And then you could say, well, the quarterbacks every year, the number one quarterback oscillates between is it Andrew Luck or is it Cam Newton or is it going to be Aaron Rodgers this year? And I'm sitting here going, you know, I think we kind of know who the best quarterback is. And I actually don't think it's close. I know there's a case for Russell Wilson if they were to open up the offense, but If Seattle does not open up the offense, it's crystal clear the number one quarterback is Cam Newton, and he outperformed the stream by over six points last season. He seemed safe and high upside in the fifth round because it's still late round quarterback when the best quarterback goes off the board in round five. That's still late round quarterback.
1: Yeah, and as much as we can point to regression with Cam Newton, I mean, he can't repeat 7.1 touchdown rate uh you know it's going to be relatively tough for him to score 10 rushing tds again but he's still in position to be the number one fantasy quarterback i mean this isn't an an impose their will sort of offense uh warren sharp our, our strength of schedule analyst has them with the easiest schedule in the league what uh they yeah they're gonna they're gonna be able to impose their will weakly against weak opponents as much as we can you know hand ring about kelvin benjamin and i mean i'm i'm not i'm not taking him in the third round either uh he can score touchdowns he's a major upgrade over Corey brown he scored 15 touchdowns at at florida state you know in, in his final season he scored what Ten as a rookie or whatever it was, yeah, he's certainly an upgrade over Corey Brown. Devin Funchess can can score touchdowns for sure. Um, Ted Ginn is coming off a touchdown season, you know. So, I mean, I forgot to mention Greg Olson. Oh yeah, just that guy, just one of the top three tight ends. Cam Newton is in position to be a hammer for you in, in this league.
0: Yeah, also he's been super durable, so there's no incentive to draft a backup quarterback. For me, it felt like I was talking myself into it. And then as the draft progressed and as everything played itself out, I kept going back to that pick and going, wow, I'm so glad that I have Cam Newton. Also, it's fantasy football and it's fun. It's nice to have Cam Newton in a league. I'll say that. It feels really good. I sleep well at night knowing I have Cam Newton in a league. I don't think I would get as much rest in the nighttime hours if I didn't have Cam Newton in a league. It feels so good. So in the seventh round of the Apex Fantasy League is when I started drafting running backs. And when I talk to people about which running backs to draft, I always tell them, you don't necessarily always want to go off my board, off my rankings, because my rankings are in a perfect world where every depth chart remains as is and every running back remains healthy. This is where I think each running back will end up at the end of the season. However, that doesn't account for the ceilings that some players have. Tevin Coleman has a higher ceiling than Theo Riddick, for example. But all else being equal, Theo Riddick should outproduce Tevin Coleman in PPR. So that's a great example. Well, in the seventh round... Not only am I not necessarily drafting based off my rankings, I'm also using the MFL ADP to decide when I think certain players are going to be available. So in the seventh round, I wanted to draft Jeremy Langford because I thought he was the best value running back in that round. But there's so much negative sentiment, particularly by experts on Jeremy Langford that I believed incorrectly as it turned out, that I could draft Charles Sims in the seventh round and then get Jeremy Langford in the eighth, and it didn't work out like that because Graham Barfield drafted Jeremy Langford Exactly one pick after I took Charles Sims and I threw my papers up in the air and I said, OK, forget it. Now, Jeremy Langford is playing well ahead of all of the other running backs on the Chicago depth chart and he's playing well in preseason. Are you changing your ranking of Jeremy Langford based on preseason?
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, we have new information. You know, I was just kind of lukewarm on Jeremy Langford, I guess would be one way to decide decide it. You know, there were certain points in the draft where I was willing to seriously consider him. I mean, all the chatter throughout the offseason from all the Bears beat writers was that Jeremy Langford was going to be a committee back. The Bears used Jeremy Langford as a committee back as a rookie. Um, Mike Clay has laid out reasons to not like Jeremy Langford.
0: Really? I haven't heard those.
1: No one stepped forward among the Bears' backup running backs. Jordan Howard looks like he may open the season as a game day inactive. Jacquez Rodgers right now is the number two back. Kadeem Carey is you know, a, a borderline NFL player, and he suffered a concussion in the preseason opener. I mean, th- there is no pressure being put on by any of the Bears' reserve running backs. And... In the preseason so far, the Bears have played 39 first-team snaps, and Jeremy Langford has been on 36 of them. Wow. So we have new information, and, and we have better information. We have uh, information that we need to adjust based on. And, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, Jeremy Langford went from a guy that, you know, I, I might take when he goes around that 7-8 that turn um, to a guy that I'm not looking at, you know, in, in the, like as a value pick somewhere in the fifth round.
0: Jeremy Langford is the classic case where I think we should zoom out when a lot of experts are zooming in, zooming okay. in to splice Jeremy Langford's 2015 NFL efficiency, show it against base defenses versus light fronts versus heavy fronts, and talk about his catch rate on a relatively low sample size. Instead, if you zoom out and you look at what Jeremy Langford did at Michigan State a converted defensive back, had one season with more than 20 touchdowns and another season with well more than 20 receptions. So he was an all-field workhorse at Michigan State, and then he put up an upper percentile 40 time at the Combine, showing that he has the athleticism that you like to see from a primary ball carrier all those factors were missing in the Jeremy Langford evaluations I was reading the last six months, and now it's time to hit the reset button and reevaluate him, and I'm not surprised that you're doing that. Some people, I think, are going to remain intractable and stick with their take. But you're not one of those guys. You're very much a Bayesian with your process, and you're always adjusting based on new information. That's why you're one of the best. Are you doing the same thing for the Washington backfield? Because all the competitors for Matt Jones' touches seem to also be falling by the wayside.
1: Yes, but if Matt Jones got hurt. That, that's an issue. That's an issue. For for a guy who we already had questions about his ability, and he got hurt, and he's questionable for week one. I, I think that signs point toward him being ready for week one but he got injured so let, let's let's zoom out let's take a look at who matt jones is because right now he's a banged up running back and um wh- who, who doesn't really have great job security even though it, it kind of seems like he, he he does um he never topped 900 yards from scrimmage at florida He isn't a good athlete. He wasn't good as a rookie. From from week three on last season, he averaged 2.8 yards per carry. He had had five fumbles, lost four. So he was a guy that I wanted to keep an open mind because I thought he could be a great pick because the community has been so down on him. But it, it scares me that he got hurt. I mean, the Redskins tomorrow could go sign another guy. You know, they, they could go sign another, another back and put him into a rotation um, and, and, you know, use a three-way rotation in their backfield, whether it be Pierre Thomas or, or whomever who was, with their, who was with them last year. This is a team that's going to be looking for RBs at final cuts, and there's going to be some talented running backs that get cut at final cuts. I mean, you know, the, the Seahawks have a bunch of running backs um you know all, you know off the top of my head the the Seahawks are a team i mean the Titans you know people people still holding out for hope for Bishop Sankey i mean there are going to be a lot of running backs that hit the waiver wire and i would be surprised if the Redskins did not pick up one of them they're they're going to add somebody
0: if i were starting a team today i would rather have Bishop Sankey than Matt Jones on my team because like you said if we apply the same evaluation technique To Jeremy Langford and Matt Jones. When we zoom out on Matt Jones, we see that he was never an impressive prospect even during his Florida days. So there's nothing really to like other than his spot on the depth chart, which can change the moment Washington signs a running back, just like what happened to Jay Ajayi in Miami right now, this moment, Washington could sign Carlos Williams. Now he's not gonna play until week five. But starting in week five, he would be a real threat to Matt Jones touches in week one. I'm hearing Ronnie Hillman's going to get caught. And he's been an NFL starter for longer than Matt Jones has. So he's a possibility. You mentioned the Seattle running back core. There are so many good running backs on that Seattle running back core. It's amazing. Also, just go up 95 a few miles. It's conceivable that one of those Ravens running backs that's been competitive during camp gets cut. I would argue that from Terrence West to Bishop Sankey to Ronnie Hillman to carlos williams all of these players have better profiles than matt jones
1: yeah you know wish that he would have made it through through camp healthy i would have liked him a little bit more was never aggressively drafting him but was you know keeping an open mind to a guy who in an offense that i think is going to be good had a chance at a lot of touches you know perhaps he still does but him getting hurt in the preseason and now being questionable for week one and put into a scenario where I'm, I feel a high level of confidence that the Redskins are going to add another running back. He's not involved uh, on third downs. Chris Thompson has been the third down back. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm leaning to more toward, toward your take that Chris Thompson looks like the back to own. Uh, late, late, you know, very late in the draft where he could catch a lot of passes. This this is a team that its talent is in the passing game. Its best talent is in the passing game. That's how the Redskins are built. They have a tough schedule. They're going to be in a lot of – they're going to be throwing the football this season, and it's it's an unfortunate situation for Matt Jones, and it's starting to look like a pretty darn good situation for uh, Chris Thompson.
0: And Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins could very well lead the league in interceptions this year and be a QB1 in fantasy at the same time, just based on the volume he's sure to get. Chris Thompson is going to be the most trusted back on that depth chart. What does that mean? He's going to get some Danny Woodhead-esque red zone work, and he's going to get the two-minute drill work. This is why Chris Thompson being drafted at slot 200, is crazy particularly in ppr leagues why would you draft theo riddick at pick 90 when you can have chris thompson or sean drone at pick 200 it doesn't make sense one of the players that's being drafted in the same adp range as matt jones and jeremy Langford is a player i know you like latavius mm-hmm. murray we've disagreed in the past you're higher on latavius murray than i am I'm very high on DeAndre Washington. Are you still buying Latavius Murray because he's had a good camp and had a good preseason thus far? Is he rising up your ranks?
1: Yes, yes. Talent is not the number one driver of fantasy production for running back. So we and and, and talent is debatable. I mean, after one season, a guy looks like a great talent. You know, the next season, it's like, ooh, you know, we don't know if he, he's a, a great talent anymore. You know, Jeremy Hill would be a good good case in point for that Um, Latavius Murray has always been a great athlete he held up under a a large workload last year I mean he had 307 touches didn't really suffer any injuries like to see that from him his efficiency decreased over the course of the season I mean he he was a good fantasy back in the first half and then the the bottom just kind of fell out on him and then he was also ineffective uh, in fourth quarters of games, where he averaged two two yards per carry, so I think that the the Raiders are kind of aware of this, and that's why they added DeAndre Washington, who I like as well. I mean, I I'd be willing to draft both of those guys, uh, but Latavius Murray is in a great rushing situation. the The Raiders have, have a, a pretty good looking schedule, uh, especially in the especially in the first five games. There's no team with with an easier schedule than the Raiders in the first five games, which the Raiders could parlay into, you know, a, a situation where they're going to run the ball a, a lot and play with leads. And um, yeah, I mean, the offensive line is great. The, the defense has a chance to be special and the, the people who run the team, Jack Del Rio and Bill Musgrave, you know, Jack Del Rio was a college linebacker um, or, and an NFL linebacker and Bill Musgrave his offenses historically have been have skewed heavily toward a power running game. Um, so I, I like both of those guys. Uh, L- Latavius Murray is in a great position. I mean, I think I'll be using him in DFS early in the season. When, when you look at the opponents that the Raiders start with, he's going to be in a lot of great spots.
0: I think one thing we learned about Latavius Murray last year is he's not great in the passing game. He's not a fluid space back, and that's okay. When they asked him to do that, he wasn't particularly effective or productive, and that's why they have DeAndre Washington. In a run-heavy scheme, Evan, they can both be productive. They can both be valuable fantasy assets. This is why opportunity is not created equal. I heard people talk about Matt Jones and Latavius Murray— as opportunity equals and they weren't just because you're at the top of the depth chart doesn't mean you're guaranteed workhorse numbers there's a lot of external forces that drive workhorses into the top 10 running backs it's not just about the intrinsic qualities of the player even if Matt Jones had a great profile we've already established he doesn't But even if he did, his coach is Jay Gruden, a pass-first coach. Washington does not have a good offensive line. They don't have a good schedule. All the external forces are working against Matt Jones being a productive workhorse in that role. And on the other side, on the other coast, it's exactly the opposite. You have a player who we agree has flaws, but that situation is perfect for a running back great offensive line, great defense. You have game flow in your favor. You have offensive philosophy in your favor. Latavius Murray is the quintessential running back that I would draft based on opportunity alone, even if I do not think he's necessarily the most efficient running back. In that particular case, I'm still buying him. And when we've been in drafts, I've wanted Latavius Murray, and you've been the one that keeps getting him.
1: Well, one of his greatest downfalls as a runner is that he's not elusive. But the offensive line play can compensate for that shortcoming.
0: We've seen running backs that are not particularly elusive, and they're not great in space, they're not great receivers. Every year there's a handful of between-the-tackles grinders... That finish as RB1s in fantasy. The, every year we have these guys, but they're in situations that look a lot more like Latavius Murray's situation, not Carlos Hyde's situation, not Matt Jones' situation not Jay Ajayi's situation. That was why I was objecting to the Carlos Hyde, Matt Jones, Jay Ajayi ADPs all offseason because I didn't think these were mega talents and I hated their situation. I don't think Latavius Murray is a mega talent either, even though he's big and fast, which I like. But that situation is so perfect for him. In Arizona, David Johnson's situation is also perfectly suited for his skill set. And he already established at every level of football that he's effective in all phases and he's an efficient runner. But I keep hearing David Johnson debates on podcasts and I keep seeing David Johnson debates on my Twitter timeline. And I have zero motivation to get involved in these debates because for me, it's plowed ground. This debate is over. David Johnson's great. We can move on to talk about literally every other running back, Evan
1: yeah not not debating david johnson not not fighting that fight anymore uh carlos hyde is a guy that a lot of people think is a special runner though matt and like i understand why because he has some great you know great looking runs he's also been injured consistently since he entered the nfl he pulled his hamstring running the 40 at the combine uh, as a rookie, he suffered season-ending knee and back injuries. Even though he only had 83 carries, last OTAs he missed with a calf strain, um, and last year he he ended ended the season with a stress fracture in his foot. Um, he's a, a major injury risk. The the 49ers ha- are going to have a bad offense. You know, I, I, Chip Kelly. <laughs> I don't think he has magic. They start against the Rams at Carolina and at Seattle.
0: Oh, God, I didn't know that. Oh.
1: A, a nightmare way to start the season for any offense. Um, I, I, it has been a positive in preseason that Carlos Hyde is operating as a three-down running back, I think. Uh, he has been he's been targeted four times so far with the first team. Of course, Blaine Gabbard has not completed any of them, but he, 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 it does look like he's going to get – targets in the in the 49ers offense probably more than uh, you would expect based on his resume but he's still one of my top players to to avoid I mean I I don't want I, I know enough from from having played daily fantasy and done pretty well at it that I don't want running backs on bad teams I don't want running backs with bad quarterbacks I don't want running backs that week in and week out face good teams and or run defenses that aren't going to give my running back any room to run and I don't want running backs who I have a question about whether they're going to catch catch passes so he's you know a top my players to avoid this season yeah I would
0: like Carlos Hyde a lot more if he were on Oakland if he were just across the bay just take the bay bridge Carlos Hyde and we'll love you but as long as you're on the other side of the bay no thank you and Latavius Murray also has one check mark in his favor that Carlos Hyde does not and you mentioned it earlier to establish durability running backs need to do that they need to show you they can be a workhorse for a full season because their physiology is not constructed in a way that allows them to run with their running style for a full 16-game schedule. That's one thing that Latavius Murray does have going for him is that he has established that. Carlos Hyde hasn't come close to establishing that, and that's one of my problems with Tevin Coleman in Atlanta is he hasn't established that yet. I have questions about his ability to stay healthy based on his violent running style, which he couldn't stay healthy last year, even though the injury that knocked him out for the year wasn't suffered on the field... He fell in the shower of all things. He fell in the shower. But I do believe that a healthy Tevin Coleman is a lot closer talent-wise to Todd Gurley than anyone wants to talk about.
1: Well, the injury that ruined Tevin Coleman's season, I mean, people forget that he beat out Devonta Freeman and was the Falcon starter to open last season. The injury that ruined him because he had a solid first game against the Eagles. I think he had 20 carries for 80 yards. In the second one, he had like nine carries for about 40 yards and a touchdown. Uh, and he was a, a massively popular DFS play that week. Uh, it was against the Giants, uh, who didn't have a very good defense. And Tevin Coleman was off to a great start, gets hurt, fractures, I think, two ribs, ends up missing a couple games. And and, Devin, and Devonta Freeman just explodes. Um, you know, I, I'm not... I don't like Tevin Coleman as much as you the the, one of the guys who I think is an interesting debate Matt is Todd Gurley because his situation isn't that much different than Carlos Hyde's Um, Todd Gurley is I I think you know maybe potentially a generational talent but this is another player with a brutal injury history um, if you go back to Georgia, he suffered a severe high ankle sprain. He, he tore his ACL. Uh, as a rookie, he missed the first few games, and then he missed week 17 with a toe injury. You know, these The, the, the two down grinders are at, at major injury risk. You know who I think is becoming very interesting, and I'm trying to get him on all my dynasty leagues, is Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown, who I think would be number two in line. I, I do have some Benny Cunningham, but I think Malcolm Brown would be number two in line for carries in the, the Rams backfield. But wh- what do you think about Todd Gurley this year? Because he's got quarterback problems. He's got a questionable offensive line. He's got a not great schedule. It's not nearly as bad as the 49ers, but wh- what do you think about Todd Gurley? I
0: can't draft Todd Gurley and redraft because – literally every external force is working against him. You laid out the case against him very well. Doesn't have a good quarterback, so how is he going to score touchdowns? He needs to score touchdowns on long runs, and I know he did that last year, but probability says that The difficulty of scoring a 30-yard touchdown on a handoff in the NFL, it's so improbable. No matter how talented you are, even for someone like Adrian Peterson, it's incredibly difficult to score consistent long runs, and now you add to that the fact that you're in the NFC West, which is maybe the hardest division to run the ball in football. And you have a rookie quarterback and or Case Keenum, which is essentially the same thing, and all the linebackers are playing on their toes. That's a disadvantage. If you're the guy they're trying to stop, if you're the focal point of the defense and the quarterback cannot get them on their heels, how are you supposed to break a long run? I know you can do it. I know you're Todd Gurley. You're one of the most talented running backs in the league. I totally get it. But I think that on Atlanta, where Matt Ryan and Julio Jones are keeping defenses honest, it's easier for Tevin Coleman with his talent profile to score on long runs than it would be for even Todd Gurley. That's why you can't justify taking Todd Gurley in the first round. You'd like him to have at least a couple external forces working in his favor, and Todd Gurley has none.
1: God, you want Tevin Coleman to happen so bad.
0: <laughs> I really do. I really do. And and he's one of the examples that I talked about earlier of running backs that i taking ahead of other running backs that I have technically ranked higher on my board. But what happens, Evan, when Devontae Freeman goes out with a concussion, he misses week five, and Tevin Coleman rolls up 160 yards and two touchdowns. What happens then?
1: Then it's on.
0: Then it's on. This is why you draft Tevin Coleman in the 10th round. I mean, this is why 0RB is such a perfectly constructed strategy because it gives you the luxury not only of drafting Tyler Lockett in the 4th round and not even starting him because I can just start Alan Hearns at flex. And then, because I have Jonathan Stewart and Theo Riddick, I can bench Tevin Coleman and just wait for the inevitable. All right. People want to know about this New England backfield. I keep hearing about James White, James White, James White.
1: Oh, my goodness. I I can't even tell you how many questions I've gotten about James White in the last 16 hours.
0: We're contractually obligated by Roto Underworld, which is my company, so I signed a contract with myself to talk about the player du jour with Evan Silver from Roto World because if I didn't, I would be derelict in my duty as a podcast host. Let's keep it short. Are you blowing your free agent budget on James White, yes or no?
1: Well, you, you will see a lot of really positive statistics scattered about on Twitter regarding what James White did in a small sample late last year. What isn't usually showing up you know, is context because Julian Edelman was out because Danny Amendola missed time. During that period, LeGarrette Blunt was out for the season. Uh, Rob Gronkowski missed time. Tom Brady was playing quarterback, not Jimmy Garoppolo. So I would be very concerned with overdrafting James White, who, listen, I think he, he has a chance to be a low-end RB2 flex in PPR leagues for the first six weeks. You know, might give you some four-catch games, you know, might give you 11, 12 fantasy points, but that, that's not really what I'm looking for in my draft. Um, if he falls to a certain spot, you know, ninth, 10th round, something like that, I think that he's worth taking into consideration because he does have some PPR value. But the, the, the statistics of his weekly rankings of how many points he scored in the second half of the season just have no context um, and don't reflect what was actually going on. I think the running back to target is LeGarrette Blunt in the Patriots' backfield. Uh, he is massively undervalued right now. Uh, you know, this is He has 23 touchdowns in 30 career games as a Patriot, and because the Patriots do not have uh, a, a dynamic space back any longer – you know, it's possible that they will lean on the run more, and of course, the, the situation with Martellus Bennett and Rob Gronkowski. I mean, they can run out of a, a seven-man offensive line and just pound you into submission. And during Jimmy Garoppolo's starts, are we sure how the Patriots are going to play? Because they may try to play slow and and grind out games and try to go two and two or three and one in this first four-game window. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily going to be the same offense that we saw with Tom Brady, where they didn't have LeGarrette Blunt. They were uh, throwing the ball as you know. I mean, they were a one-dimensional offense because they lost LeGarrette Blunt. So, just be very, very careful of the of the James White statistics. Uh, in, a, in a small sample with no context, in the second half of last year,
0: the most I'm spending on James White, if I have a $100 free agent auction budget, is $10. 10% of my auction budget would be directed toward James White because James White specializes in one specific thing on the football field. He is the best at this particular thing on the football field. Do you know what it is, Evan?
1: Catching the ball and falling.
0: Dropping wheel routes. (laughs) True. Couldn't catch a wheel route to save his life, and that way he's really the anti-Shane Vereen. Shane Vereen was a great space back who was also hugely productive in college. James White was never productive at Wisconsin. He's just a cardboard cutout PPR back. I mean, that's what he is. He's the ultimate replacement level PPR back. I mean, if there was a Wikipedia entry for replacement level PPR back, there would be James White's picture. That's what he is and now he's on a completely different offense that is going to lean more on LeGarrette Blunt while Tom Brady is out. And then when Tom Brady gets back, James White is going to be Tom Brady's sixth option, and then Deion Lewis will return.
1: And also, are you sure that he's even guaranteed the passing game role? Because Tyler Gaffney can play a little bit, they have Donald Brown. Tyler Gaffney and Donald
0: Brown have both shown receiving capability. Donald Brown was an efficient receiver with. The Colts and Tyler Gaffney was also a complete bell cow back during his time at Stanford, where he was used out of the backfield and between the tackles. And Brandon Bolden is also an adequate receiver. So all these guys can play that role at replacement level. That's why I'm not at all fascinated with James White. There's a
1: realistic chance that he doesn't help you at all. Right. The the other problem want... is you
0: start him and then he does nothing and right. you lose a matchup because you tried to get cute and start James White instead of starting Jonathan Stewart, who then goes out and scores two touchdowns. Don't do it. I have a question. So you and I go back and forth on Twitter often about the hyped player du jour and how beat reporters get ahead of themselves with players. Sure. What happened to Wendell Smallwood? <laughs> Let's play a game. Where'd he go? Because he was the next big thing. He was. And then I saw the Eagles depth chart, and he wasn't on it.
1: And I was thinking, where'd he go? Saw the Eagles depth chart, and then he was behind Cedric (laughs) O'Neal. Where's Wendell Smallwood?
0: Anybody? I'm just looking around because I'm like, I thought I knew this guy. That the Eagles had, who was supposed to be really good, according to the beat reports. And then where'd he go?
1: Yeah, I did a dynasty trade. I, I had drafted Wendell Smallwood in a dynasty rookie draft. And somebody just out of the blue offers me uh, Jeremy Langford for Wendell Smallwood and like a third round rookie pick next year. And I mean, even for me, who I, you know, I, very much on the fence at that time on Jeremy Langford, I was like, duh. I'm taking this. Wendell Smallwood is going to be inactive on game days to start the season. There is a scenario in which Ryan Matthews gets hurt. Like, you know, everybody predicts that he will, uh, you know. His collarbones are
0: made of glass, blah, blah, blah. Go ahead.
1: Darren polls, you know, his role doesn't really change. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, Kenyon Barner falls out of window. Then Wendell Smallwood could become relevant. But right now, you know, th- there is absolutely no reason to draft Wendell Smallwood.
0: Kenyon Barmer's carried off by a Harpe Eagle.
1: <laughs> These are the things that have to happen for Wendell
0: Smallwood to be fantasy viable. Also, what happened to Kenneth Dixon? All of a sudden, Kenneth Dixon's number four on the Ravens depth chart, and it's looking more and more like the number one running back is going to be Javarius Allen! <laughs>
1: Tell me I'm wrong. It's a very fluid, competitive situation.
0: That's some good coach speak right there. Look at you. Are you auditioning to be a coach? That was coach speak.
1: Buck Allen all along has been the guy that you wanted to take shots on in drafts, in, in MFL 10s, because dude would go 14th to 16th round, whereas people were taking Justin Forsett in the single digits. Justin Forsett has been outplayed by Terrence West. You know, It, it doesn't look like Forsett is going to be the goal line back. It, we know he's not. He's one of the worst receiving backs in the league. So how is he going to score fantasy points? Is he any good? He has one season among eight where he has over 650 rushing yards, and he's 31 years old.
0: And he's not athletic. I have an idea, though. I have a theory. Justin Forsett could lead Washington in touches. That's how. He could be the top of the Washington depth chart. That's how Justin Forsett can be fantasy viable this year because it's not going to be on the Ravens who have at the very least two far superior talents on the roster in Javorius Allen and Kenneth Dixon I'm going to have to see Terrence West to believe Terrence West but it's still conceivable because intrinsically Justin Forsett has never been an impressive football player he's been the guy that was just around he's just the guy in the facility he's the opposite of Wendell Smallwood Whenever you need a running back, whenever you're looking around, if the coaches are like, who are we going to put in? Who are we going to put in? Justin Forsett just pops out of nowhere like an elf just appearing out of vapor. Like, (laughs) hey, guys. Hey, coach. I'll go in. I'll go in. He's just always been around. He's always been on a practice squad. He's always been at the bottom of a roster. And whenever injuries hit the running back position, there's Justin Forsett reporting for duty. And that's how he's become this little engine that could running back. And for that reason, I like the fact that people like Justin Forsett, that there's this irrational affinity for Justin Forsett in fantasy. It's a good story to me, but great stories don't win fantasy leagues.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't I know your theory is that Forsett might get cut and I think it's unlikely, but I wouldn't rule it out. Because he's got a three million dollar base salary, he's in the last year of his deal, so there's no salary cap proration, which means that all three all three million of that comes right off the cap.
0: Well, he's not in the last year of his deal, but this year and next year have no guaranteed money.
1: No, no guaranteed money. I mean, the the rest of the guys are on minimum salary deals. Right. And there's no indication that Forsett is clearly ahead of West or Buck Allen so far. They all got reps with the first team in, in the second preseason game. And it looks like it's going to open the season as a three-way committee. And then Kenneth Dixon, I think, might be the best all-purpose back of the lot. Um, so they, they could very easily cut cut ties with with Justin Forsett and not losing anything. I mean, he's a replacement level back. I think that they'll probably keep him just because John Harbaugh will be like, no, we're keeping the veteran guy. That's right. We're the veteran. He's a
0: veteran leadership. He knows how the game is played. Do you hear this YouTube commenters? When I said that Justin Forsett could be a cut candidate and you all just erupted, mocking me, calling me names on the internet service. This is Evan Silva. This is one of, if not the most respected mind in fantasy football is telling you it's not out of the realm of possibility, which is all I was saying a couple weeks ago. So there, there you go. By the way, I'm not a big tape grinder, as you well know. But Speaking of YouTube, if you go to YouTube and search Kenneth Dixon highlights, and in particular, his highlights in the passing game, have you seen these catches from Louisiana Tech?
1: Yeah, yeah, he's good, man.
0: Holy shit. He's good. He's a really good receiver. I haven't seen a highlight reel from a running back that spectacular in the passing game ever. He's going to be a good one in the league, but I think this is Javorius Allen's year. Next year, who knows, in Dynasty, but take advantage. Get Javorius Allen in all leagues Whenever I have Evan Silva on the show, we focus on running backs because that is his specialty. But I am also contractually obligated to talk about a handful of wide receiver de jour. Du jours. First and foremost, the Titans. Because we had a little bit of a disagreement on Twitter. I did something uncharacteristic. I trolled Roto World. <laughs> Just kidding. I do it all the time. And one of the Roto World writers speculated that Tajay Sharp could lead all Titans receivers in targets. And my tweet said essentially, I think that's ridiculous that richard matthews and kendall wright are the established veterans on that roster and the idea that a 21 year old rookie fifth round pick could usurp both of them on the target totem pole doesn't stand to reason i'm also a pretty enthusiastic richard matthews advocate so can you lay out your case World's case for why how Tajay Sharp could possibly outcatch Rashad Rashard
1: Matthews? Well, it was just – it was funny timing because it was minutes after Tajay Sharp had just got done dropping six for 68 and a half against the Panthers' first-team secondary. And then, you, and then you come out with the troll tweet. <laughs> because this is what I do. <laughs> so just everybody is just like, what? Like it's just <laughs> – we, were, we just got done watching Tajay Sharp carve up the Panthers, you know. But I just – I thought it was Matt Kelly, Mr. Contrarian, blah, 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 blah. Curious timing. I mean, what was said in the Roto-World blurb, which I think was from OTAs, uh, was that Tajay Sharp could lead the Titans in targets, which is not really much of a prediction at all, you know. <laughs> so it really it wasn't i mean we it's just we we've had a lot of bad blurbs in the past but that was not not one of the worst so it's funny that you picked that out
0: yeah the blurb basically said ah eh, this tajay sharp guy's pretty good and then that's the blurb i chose to use do you know who my father is no we don't share a last name that's why you might not know skip bayless <laughs>
1: Well, that explains a lot.
0: It's in my genetic makeup.
1: As for how the Titans pass catcher core is going to play out, like, I don't know. I like Rashard Matthews the best, but not significantly more than Tajay Sharp. Uh, They have theoretically a target hog tight end who, I mean, I think that his targets could drop significantly this year, Delaney Walker, I mean, after he led all NFL tight ends in targets last season, they play in a run-first offense. Um, I mean, look, I, I, I have zero Tajay Sharp chairs in, uh, in MFL 10s. I have a decent amount of Rashard Matthews, and that's because I think Rashard Matthews is going to lead the, the wide-out core in catches and targets and receiving yards. But I don't think it's crazy. Based on what we've seen from Tajay Sharp – I mean, he made, you know, Doriel Green-Beckham irrelevant. I mean, he's going to start over Kendall Wright, who was a first-round pick, who has a 94-catch season on his NFL resume. Um, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to think that Tajay Sharp could lead the wide receivers in receiving this year. So
0: we're sure Tajay Sharp is going to start over Kendall Wright in two receiver sets?
1: It looks like Richard Matthews is going to be the X receiver, that uh, Tajay Sharp is going to be the Z receiver, and Kendall Wright is going to play in three receiver sets in the slot. That's that's what, what it looks like right now. That That's not a sure thing, but that's what it looks like.
0: How does it work with a run-first offense who's always playing from behind?
1: Hey, that's a That's fair. That's fair. Right? That's
0: what I always wonder about teams like the Titans that try to implement the run-first approach. (laughs) What? Again, Oakland is a different animal. Oakland has what could be a very good defense and a good offensive line and an ascending quarterback and a future Hall of Famer in Amari Cooper. So, yes, the Oakland Raiders are going to be able to implement a run-first approach. The Titans are going to struggle to implement that philosophy so Rashard Matthews I agree he is in that number one wide receiver chair one of the great values in fantasy he has been and he will continue to be I think all the way through week one because people do not think of him as an elite receiver but he had close to a 90th percentile college dominator during his time at Nevada and he was marginalized unfairly in Miami And when he was finally given an opportunity, one of the most efficient wide receivers in the league, number one in yards per target in 2015, despite having Ryan Tannehill as your quarterback, that is an impressive accomplishment. I do want to talk about a couple more teams in which there could be surprises at the top of the target share board on those particular teams. With the Browns, I think we can all agree Corey Coleman is special. But this idea that Terrell Pryor would be pushing him, is that ridiculous? Or is it possible that Terrell Pryor is just an incredible athlete and he's that versatile?
1: Well, it's for sure that Terrell Pryor is an incredible athlete. Woof! I mean, <laughs> Oof. he's ridiculous, man. <sighs> he ran 4.3 at like 235 pounds coming out of Ohio State. 4'3 flat. So good, man. He's such a good athlete. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Corey Coleman is, is the guy to own. And, I mean, I, I suppose that could eventually become Josh Gordon, assuming he doesn't, you know, fail any drug tests during his forthcoming suspension. Um, but I, I think Corey Coleman is is the guy to own right now. I, Terrell Pryor is making these plays in the game without Corey Coleman in the game. You know, w- without Josh Gordon in the game. So while it's it's an impressive feat, what Terrell Pryor is doing, um, Corey Coleman is the guy in Cleveland, I think.
0: Charles Johnson is a starter on the Vikings depth chart. Yep. And Laquan Treadwell, at age 21, with no speeder burst on his profile on playerprofiler.com, has not been impressing anyone, and I don't see a depth chart move on the horizon in Minnesota.
1: Do you? It's not. I mean, there's no reason to believe that it's going to happen anytime soon.
0: No. I think that Charles Johnson could happen. He would be one of the older breakout receivers we've seen, but he had a season similar to Tevin Coleman last year where he was the starter in week one, broke a rib, and couldn't come back. Stephon Diggs ate his lunch last year, just like Devontae Freeman ate Tevin Coleman's lunch last year. I mean, that's the kind of year I had last year. I was touting Tevin Coleman. I'm touting Charles Johnson. In in week one, they both break ribs and they're not the same. Welcome to my life. But no one is arguing Charles Johnson could possibly usurp Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs, Evan, is the truth.
1: He could be. I mean, he's definitely someone who, you know, we talk about how everything is just kind of unfolding in a positive way for a guy like Jeremy Langford I mean with the exception of this boot on the foot thing but he just got his foot stepped on but everything is just unfolding in favor of Stefan Diggs you know but very possibly having a 120 target season that could be more if Adrian Peterson gets hurt I mean if if right. Adrian Peterson gets hurt a lot of things change in Minnesota because they become a shotgun offense with Jarek McKinnon in the backfield, with <laughs> Charles Johnson as the X receiver, with Stefan Diggs as the move, movement Z receiver, Kyle Rudolph <laughs> in the red zone. I do
0: not wish injuries on players. I don't. If you dare to set foot on an NFL football field and take NFL contact, you're risking your life and. There's very little more impressive than that. Stepping in the octagon and the UFC, there's a handful of things as impressive as even stepping on a football field, much less succeeding at that particular craft. I have nothing but the utmost respect for NFL football players and what NFL football players do on Sundays. That all being said, would be nice if Adrian Peterson got injured. (laughs) It's a good story to me, but great stories don't win fantasy leagues. The number one running back is going to be Javarius Allen! <laughs>
1: <laughs> because John Harbaugh will be like, no, we're keeping the veteran guy.
0: We don't have any more bathing suits left. There might be one or two on clearance. And I shot a look back at her and I said, what are you talking about? You're marshals. This is what you do. You have snow pants available in March that no one else is selling. You're marshals. This isn't crazy that I would want to get a bathing suit in August.
1: Yeah, so not as good as the Milk with Maggot story, but it was a story nonetheless. I think that I feel like your takes are a little bit more rational in the off season, And then as we draw closer, they start to get like violently hot
0: I love the idea of Ray Summerlin waking up in the morning and checking his phone and just there's a picture of Virgil Green and his dad like pointing in the air
1: because John Harbaugh will be like no we're keeping the veteran guy
0: do you know who my father is I did something uncharacteristic I trolled Roto World just kidding I do it all the time
1: I think that I feel like your takes are a little bit more rational in the off season, and then as we draw closer, they start to get, like, violently hot.
0: Because sometimes I'm up at night and I'm tossing and turning and I'm, I'm considering Golden Tate and Marvin Jones and hoping this take doesn't backfire. And then I remembered that he created a nickname for himself, Showtime Tate. <laughs> Would Marvin Jones ever even consider creating a nickname for himself as self-aggrandizing as Showtime Jones. And then I thought, no, you have to have a level of self-confidence from years of football experience to put it out there for the world. I'm Showtime Tate. So the moment that hit me, I fell right asleep.
1: Terrell Pryor is an incredible athlete. I mean, he's ridiculous, man.
0: James White specializes in one specific thing on the football field. He is the best at this particular thing on the football field. Do you know what it is, Evan?
1: Catching the ball and falling?
0: Dropping wheel routes. (laughs) True. And I'm on my way to check out a CVS and I walk past the candy aisle. Evan, this candy aisle in CVS Has gone to another level I can't get out of it like I can't I challenge any human being to walk through the candy aisle of CVS and not stop and look around and maybe grab something because I'm very much a gummy head I love gummy anything gummy sour patch kid anything like that and I found Starburst now has a gummy that's also sour That also has fruit juice infused in it. So you bite through it and there's a sourness. And then it shoots this sour liquid into your mouth. And it is incredible. It's so incredible. And I love candy. And I feel like, you know, guys that are potheads. And you ask them, well, have you ever considered heroin? And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. no." I would never. Heroin's too scary. Well, I'm like that with candy. People will say, well, you tried these starburst explode in your mouth sour amazing things and i said no no no, i could never i don't know i'm just straight you know straight sour patch kids for me thanks i'm not gonna go starburst sour blast blow my mouth off but i bought them anyway
1: I'm, i'm not really into candy have we started the show yet
0: It's August 22nd. Do you know who my father is?
1: God, you want Tevin Coleman to happen so bad.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm on this site called Roto World, and they actually have Tremaine Pope up already. You know that site? It's pretty good.
1: I gotta I gotta look it up.
0: So I'll read my bookmarks to you. Gmail, player profiler, Roto World, Twitter. <laughs> That's, that's it. And now I've added YouTube because YouTube is just the wild west of social media. Calling me the N-word. Like, that's just hilarious to me. Like, I'm posting that stuff. This is kind of like a dream come true. You know, Skip
1: Bayless dream come true. Because John Harbaugh will be like, no, we're keeping the veteran guy.
0: Because I've been watching some Bobby Fisher. He would just do a crazy opening he's never done before. And the funniest part are the announcers who are like, I can't believe it. He's gone bishop to, widow, you know, whatever. And it's like, I don't even know what that even means. But you guys are apparently really, like, thrown off by
1: this. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, Kenyon Barner falls out a window. Then Wendell Smallwood could become relevant.
0: Kenyon Barner's carried off by a Harpe Eagle.
1: That all being
0: said, would be nice if Adrian Peterson got injured.
1: The whole landscape of the Vikings change if that happens. And Teddy Bridgewater probably becomes 2016 version of what Andy Dalton was last year before he got hurt. And he was a top five weekly play at quarterback, even against tough defenses. Yeah. So it would be very interesting to see what would happen. I think it would be fun to watch. Do you know
0: who my father is?